is a particular um, passage that might be very, very familiar to us, uh, to all of us. Of course, it has corresponding uh, um, teaching in the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 7, which we'll look at in a minute. Let me, tell, let me begin by, uh, by saying this. There was a young couple who, uh, who moved in next door to, uh, to a couple who were a little bit older than them. And uh, as um, they sort of got settled into the house and, uh, you know, the next day, uh, this young uh, lady started to hang out the washing. And uh, as she's hanging out the washing, the, uh, the lady next door to them, the, uh, the people who had been there for a while, is that working there, mate? Oh, there we are. Good on you. Thank you. She noticed that the washing, in her opinion, didn't seem to be very, very clean. And she remarked to her husband and said, you know, that uh, young girl next door, I don't know if she can really do, you know, she really knows how to do the washing properly because the clothes that she's hanging out on the line, they don't look as, you know, as clean as, as, what I would, uh, as what I would get them. Well, her husband just kept silent. Smart man. <laughs> well, later that week... The process went through again. This lady, she started hanging out the clothes and that sort of thing. And here was the lady peering through uh, the window and uh, looking at the clothes. And she says to her husband again, she says, there she goes again, hanging out that washing. It still doesn't look as clean as I would get it. Husband still silent. Well, this went on for several weeks. Eventually, it got to the point where this lady thought, she said to her husband, I think I'll go next door and, and, and say to the lady, let me help you get your washing cleaner. Well, her husband, knowing you know, that uh, probably not a good idea to say too much, just, just kept silent and said, oh, just give it a little while, darling. Well, the next day she came out, and here's this lady hanging out her washing, and she remarked, boy, doesn't that washing look remarkably cleaner today? She obviously has, you know, has obviously received some instruction as to how to get the washing clean or you know, she's, uh, she's using a different washing powder or something like that, I don't know. To which her husband replied, well, dear, uh, he said, what I did is I actually got up a little bit earlier this morning and I actually cleaned our windows. <laughs> sure does make a difference seeing things through a clean window, doesn't it? Everything looks so much brighter and clearer. Hmm. We can all be very quick to make judgments, can't we, about things, but how often do we stop and think about how flawed our own perspective can be? Now, these words from, from Luke 6.37, as I said, are probably uh, quite familiar. They're, they're probably some of the, the most quoted, or if I should say misquoted words in all of Scripture, particularly uh, from people who have little to do with church or, or, or the Bible or anything like that. You often hear people quoting, do not judge lest you be judged. You ever heard people say that? Yeah, happens all the time, doesn't it? But for the majority of people, do not judge actually equates to, the, to, to, to do not criticise, do not compare and do not confront me about my looks, about my behaviour or about my beliefs. That's what people today would see do not judge meaning. Our culture today said it's, says that it's wrong to judge. In fact, tolerance is the catch cry of our society today. Tolerance means not judging, unless, of course, you don't agree with the predominant values and views of society you know, today. Then you can judge and discriminate and condemn as much as you like. I mean, you only got to look at the treatment of a guy called Israel Folau in the media over the past two weeks to see that. It's 
It's really interesting, you know, a Greek philosopher, Aristotle, once said this, tolerance and apathy are the last virtues of a dying society. Hmm, I wonder if those words are going to come back to bite us. Yeah. You know, folks, we hear these words, judge not, and you will not be judged. But what did Jesus actually mean when he actually spoke these words? I mean, did he actually mean that people should not judge others at all? I mean, there are so many other passages in Scripture that would seem to contradict this. I mean, even in the passage we're looking at this morning, we see even contradictions to that. I mean, in verse 42 of this passage, Jesus makes it clear that it is right to remove the speck from our brother's eye. Now, in order to remove the speck from our brother's eye, don't we first have to make a judgment about the fact that there is a speck in our brother's eye? Of course we do. In the next section, verses 43 to 45, which we'll look at next week, Jesus says that a tree is known by its fruit. Or in other words, what he's saying is that we're actually to make a judgment about people based upon the fruit of their lives, the characteristics, the virtues that are shown out through those people's lives. We are to make judgments based on that. In John 7, 24, Jesus urges his followers to judge with right judgment. So in light of these sort of things and, and myriads of others that we could go through this morning, we see that Jesus' words here in Luke 6, therefore cannot mean never to judge someone. So what does Jesus mean by it? Well, this morning I want to suggest that the verse, this verse is not necessarily a warning against judging, but it is actually a warning against self-righteousness, self-deception and hypocrisy. As I said, this teaching is very, very similar to the teaching that is given in Matthew chapter 5 through to 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And in this teaching, Jesus makes clear what it means to live as part of the kingdom of God, as a child of God, what it means to live in his new kingdom. The kingdom, the, the kingdom of God is meant to be vastly different to the world in which we live. Its values and its thinking are in direct uh, contradiction a lot of the time to the world in which we live and society and culture and things like that today. It's interesting, you know, the, the entire culture of Jesus' day, for instance, was predicated on the notion that some people were, were acceptable and others were not acceptable. So, for example, at that time, the Jews themselves saw themselves as inherently better and more acceptable to God than non-Jews or Gentiles. In fact, they referred to Gentiles simply as dogs. The Romans themselves had equally dismissive views of other people, other nations. Rich people were seen as being more blessed and acceptable to God than poor people. The healthy were seen as being righteous and those with diseases and disabilities were judged to be sinners receiving their due. We see this particularly in a, uh, an example of that in, in John chapter 9 where Jesus and his disciples come across a blind man. And what did Jesus' disciples ask Jesus? Teacher, who sinned? This man or his parents? 
In other words, the understanding of the people in Jesus' day was that if they saw a person who had some kind of physical disability or, or had something that was, was wrong with them in some kind of way, they automatically attributed that to the sin of that person or their parents and it was God, they saw that as being God's judgment on that person and therefore you know, they weren't as righteous as, as people who were, who were healthy or, or, or better off. The kind of judgment that Jesus says is absolutely wrong. Because Jesus says, even in that situation, he says, no one sins, but this happened that God might display his glory as Jesus healed that man. What do we often hear? God's power is made perfect through what? Through weakness. See, when we judge and condemn someone in the ways of, you know, like what the Pharisees did and the ways of many people did in Jesus' day, when we start to, to judge and condemn them in this way, then what we're doing is we're actually declaring that they have no value, that they have no worth, and that they do not matter to God and therefore should not matter to us. Jesus saved his greatest criticism and, in, and judgment for the self-righteous Pharisees because he knew that self-righteousness gets in the way first and foremost with relationships with, those, you know, with, with, with other human beings but it also gets in the way of the gospel. It's our own self-righteousness that causes us to judge others. You know, we weigh things up in light of our own value systems we weigh things up in, certain, in terms of our own moral uh, perspectives. You know, we, we, we set up our own kind of scale in which we grade one another in terms of what is good and what is bad. We observe other people's appearance and behaviour and beliefs and then we make an assessment about that person's worth and value. Think that we don't do it? Well, then what is your reaction to a person that you see in the street who is covered in tattoos? What do you see when you come across people in society who call themselves LGBT? What is your response to people who have differing political views, particularly the Greens? What is your response to them? Or theological views. People who may be of a little bit more of a charismatic Pentecostal bent than what we are. And we make judgments about others. Then we define them by their choice or actions that we disagree with and that we frown upon, and they become that person, don't they? They become that person. What did the Pharisees clarify people in Jesus' day? Tax collectors and sinners. How many times through the Gospels do we, do we read that particular phrase that Jesus associated with tax collectors and sinners? People were making value judgments on the tax collectors and sinners and were defining them in that particular character, category. We do the same today. 
And when we assign people to a category, what we do is we actually dehumanise people. We dehumanise them, we, we bring them down in our estimations, we take away from the fact that every human being is created in the image of God. And we make these assessments thinking that God agrees with us. We put God and us on one side of the line and we put them on the other. Folks, this kind of behaviour is destructive and it is not appropriate for the people of God. We're not meant to operate in this way. Yes, defend our views and disagree with others and engage on the level of ideas. But when we start to condemn those who disagree with our views, when we see them as being intrinsically inferior to us, then we really enter dangerous and decidedly unchristian territory. When we see other people as wrong, not just about what they believe, but in their core identity as people, then it's, a, it's easy to convince ourselves then that, that we don't have to love them, that we don't have to serve them and we even don't have to respect them. Here in this passage in verses 37 to 38, Jesus is making it clear not about who it's right to judge or, or, or not judge, but about how one should make appropriate judgments. And the first thing to remember is that with the measure that we use, it will be measured back to us. Look at verses 30, uh, 30, 30, uh, 37 to 38. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is a restating of the golden rule, isn't it? Do unto others as you would have them do to you, isn't it? The more judgmental that we are, then we can expect others to be more judgmental towards us. If we're quick to condemn others, then we need to expect to be condemned in return. If we're a forgiving, if we're a forgiving person, then others are more likely to be like that towards us. If we're giving in generous, the same. How we treat others is so often the way others will then respond to us and treat us. But the most important thing here in these verses is this, that implicit in these verses, what Jesus is saying here, is it's not just about how we can expect others to treat us, but how we can expect God to treat us. Second thing Jesus wants us to consider this morning in this passage is, who are we going to follow? Who is going to be our teacher? Look at verses 39 to 40. Jesus says, he says that Jesus told him a parable. He said, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. 
In the Bible, people who were blind, it's often representative of the fact that they either lack faith or insight or both. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the religious people, were the most judgmental of all. In fact, it refers to them as blind guides in Matthew 15 and Matthew 23. They were meant to be the religious leaders of the people of God. They were the ones who were meant to set the example, to actually lead the people in the ways of God and show them what is the right way to live in light of God and his word. They had incredible influence in society in Jesus' day. But Jesus is saying, if you listen to these people, blind as they are, then they're going to lead you into trouble. Today, who do we listen to? Who is it that has our ear and our heart? Who is our teacher? Now we might like to say this. This is our teacher, the word of God. God is our teacher. But how often do we listen to the ways of the world and allow the ways of the world to dictate to us how we should live and how we should respond and how we should, you know, how we should go about you know, making judgments and things like that? Jesus is saying, listen to the right thing. Listen to the right teacher. Listen to the wrong teacher, folks. We'll be led astray and we will not bring glory to our Father. When people encounter us as, as God's people out there in society today, or if they come in here on a Sunday, what kind of people are they going to be encountering? What kind of, of um, characteristics and values are they going to be encountering? Jesus is saying, I want you to be different. I want you to show the world what a difference I can make in people's lives and what a difference it is living as the people of God, being blessed by him, being owned by him as his, as his children, being loved and, and, and full of you know, experiencing you know, mercy and compassion and forgiveness from God. Very rarely will people today set foot in, the, you know, in, in a church building. But they'll encounter us day after day, week after week out there in society. What kind of people are they encountering? Are they encountering people who are described by this particular passage today? People who do not judge in order to condemn, in order to dehumanise, in order to, to bring down and, and look down upon, but, but people who will make right judgments, but they'll do it in a way which is, which is characterised by love and actually has the best interests of those around about us. I had a, um, 
A couple of instances in my life I could probably refer quickly to, but quickly um, just um, mention. I was at Bible college. The principal of the Bible college called me into his office one day. A bit like being called up into the senior pastor's office and that sort of thing. <laughs> and I sat down there and, uh, and uh, he looked at me and he didn't say anything for, for a minute or so. And I thought, oh, what have I done? He said, Duncan, he said, I see a man before me who has got so much potential but has been undermined by some other stuff in your life at the moment. I'm not going to go into all you know, the stuff that he, that he spoke about. One of them particularly was, was fear of what other people would think of me. And he challenged me about that. But not once did I feel, did I feel condemned in that conversation. But I saw a man who cared for me and who loved me and who wanted me to flourish in my faith and in the life that God had called me to. Jesus wants us all to be like that towards one another. Because the final thing that Jesus makes clear in this passage is this, that before making judgments about anyone else, we need to first do some serious self-reflection and evaluation. Because we so often see the speck of sawdust in our brother's eye because it distracts us from the plank or the log that is in our own eye. And when we highlight the flaws and failures in others, it makes us feel so much better about ourselves, doesn't it? In judging others, it helps us to forget that we have issues too. And often our issues are far more significant than those of the ones we are trying to judge. See, folks, when we judge and condemn others for the faults we see in them but are guilty of the same things, of similar faults ourselves, and Jesus says, hello. I'm hypocrites. The question that is raised here is this. Are we more preoccupied with fixing others than allowing God to fix us? Are we more preoccupied with fixing others than with allowing God to fix us? And the reason Jesus wants us to, to, to undergo this self-reflection and this evaluation, to not be hypocrites, is because his aim is to train his followers so that we can see clearly and in order that we might lovingly remove the speck of sawdust from our brother's eye. The people that Jesus invites to be a part of his new kingdom are people who are broken and screwed up. us isn't it but we are entire we are exactly the people that god calls to be a part of his family to be a part of his kingdom broken and messed up people 
But his purpose, though, is to bring us together around the gospel that we might grow, that we might change and become more like Jesus. And in bringing people together as messy and as broken as they are, yes, it's going to be messy and it's going to create conflict and it's going to create difficulties because we judge each other and we don't like others pointing out what is sinful in us. But Jesus says, instead of judging each other, have in mind to help each other instead. To help each other become more like Jesus. And that means addressing our own issues first and foremost, recognising that we ourselves first and foremost need God's grace and mercy in our own lives and then treating others with that same mercy and grace and love. Because God's love for us means that he refuses to leave us broken and in as messy state as we are. He wants to change us and he wants to grow us and he wants to make us more healthy in our lives. He wants our good and he places us in community so that we can work together to help accomplish that. As I was preparing this message, I came across this particular article by uh, a guy called Andy Stanley. Now, I'm not a big Andy Stanley fan. In fact, I've got some real issues with some of the stuff that he actually says, but I really resonated with, with what he had to say about this particular passage. And he says this. In light of what God's plans and purposes are for us, he says, love forbids me to size you up and write you off. And that's, what judge, that's how we often act when we judge others. You know, we size people up and then we write them off. As love forbids us to do that. But love also forbids us to size people up, particularly brothers and sisters in Christ, and then walk away. Don't care. Not interested. Because if we do that, then we're actually not carrying out the things that God wants us to do. We're not actually really being the community of God. Can I say this morning that if we are the people who size others up and write them off, then we need to repent of that here and now. We need to repent because it is wrong. It is sinful, it is harmful, it is destructive and it is not right for the people of God to live in that way. If we size people up and then walk away, we also need to repent of that and ask God to help us instead to think of others in a more loving and a more caring way. To confront them in love after we've recognised and addressed, of course, our own planks, our own logs. And that leads me to ask you this. Because I see this operating not in the context necessarily of, you know, of, of 
people who we hardly know coming and talking to us about this sort of stuff. But I actually see this operating in the context of, you know what, as, as followers of Jesus, our goal should be to become more like him. Is, uh, is, shouldn't that be our goal? Isn't that God's purpose for us, that we be sanctified? So who is it, then, that you have given distinct permission to to actually speak into your life about these things? Have you actually given anyone in your life that kind of responsibility, that kind of permission, that kind of freedom to be able to come to you in love and actually confront you with the things that they see in your life which are sinful and harmful? Makes you think, doesn't it? Because only disciples that are serious about spiritual growth will actually do such a thing. The other group I want to address before we finish is those who have been sized up but are refusing to listen. And can I say that it is easy for all of us to be that person. Have you ever had someone love come to you and try to bring that speck of sawdust to your attention and help you to remove it? Affected them and their help? Have you been just more offended than just listen? God uses his people to help each other in the faith. And by refusing to listen, you're not only rejecting them, but we are also rejecting the work of God in our lives. Now that brings a whole different perspective to it, doesn't it? Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. So often we would prefer the kisses rather than the wounds. Proverbs 12.1 says, To learn you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. We're foolish and silly if we refuse to listen to people who have got our best interests at heart. When it comes to judging, let's just remember this. The judging is not, should not be about Categorizing, you know, measuring people up on some kind of scale, categorizing them, and then writing them off. Classing them in a particular category and saying they're that kind of person. That's not what judging is meant to be. So if that's the kind of judging you want to carry out, God says to you this morning, don't do it. But if judging means actually to lovingly see a fellow brother or sister in the Lord particularly, and you want to actually help that person grow, then the first thing you'll do is, is actually look at your own life to see whether or not you're guilty of similar things. But then in love, find ways in which you can actually encourage that person, not condemn them, but help them to grow in Christ-likeness.
See, because being a part of the community of the gospel means that we are not over and against each other, but that we are for and with each other. Shouldn't that be what the, the community of the gospel should be about? Not over and against each other, but for and with each other. And when we operate within this kind of changed environment of the gospel, it creates a space then for us to have these kinds of difficult conversations with each other and to experience the grace and the forgiveness which God actually wants to, 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 to make as characteristics of his people. And yeah, it's going to be messy. And yeah, it's always not going to go right. And that's where we need to practice forgiveness and grace towards each other. But folks, can I tell you that for the people of God, it is the only way forward and it is also one of the most powerful testimonies to the reality and the truth of God in our world today. We're going to come around this communion table now. I'm going to ask the uh, stewards if they'd like to, uh, to come forward. Come around this communion table this morning. You know, there's something quite extraordinary happening when we do this. Because generally what we like to do as people is we actually like to put up the barriers. We actually like to put on facades. And actually in order to sort of, you know, um, um, to sort of um, portray to those around about us, hey, we're okay, we're, we're doing all right, we're pretty good. And we keep hidden and buried inside of us all the ugliness and all of the messiness of our brokenness and our sinfulness. We keep it at arm's length, you know, we keep it from arm's length from those around about us because we don't want people making judgments about us. That's why we do it, don't we? But actually, when we come to this table this morning, as we partake of these elements, what we're doing is we're actually we're actually in effect, putting our hands up and saying to everyone around about us, you know what, I am a messed up, broken, sinful person in need of God's grace. So why hide it? know the kind of person that I am. You know the darkness that is in this heart and the brokenness in this life and all the messiness that goes with that. And yet I can come to you knowing that as I confess these things before you, I can receive forgiveness, that I can receive grace, that I can receive mercy and compassion and restoration. And don't we all need that? And so we praise God and we thank him for that. Take these elements this morning, coming before God and asking for all these things from him, ourselves but then go out and live exactly the opposite because folks that is the definition of a hypocrite and none of us want to be that person do we
We don't want to live like that, do we? So I invite you this morning, if, you, if you've come to that place before God, recognising your brokenness and, all, and, and, and the sinfulness in your life and you've repented of that and you've asked God for his forgiveness, then you're invited, encouraged to, to, to partake of these elements this morning, representing the cost that was involved in securing the grace and forgiveness and restoration that has been shown to us in Christ. But we also come declaring to God that with his help, we want to be that kind of people. We want to be those kind of people to those around about us. That's what we partake of these elements for this morning. It's a declaration of thankfulness, but it's also a declaration of intent as well to be the people God has called us to be. So if that's the way that you're going to take these elements this morning, I encourage you to do that. The bread, eat of the bread. But we'll drink of the cup together this morning, reminding us afresh this morning that we are in community together and that God has called us to demonstrate that Christ-likeness in our world today. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for these elements, for this time around the communion table, reminding us afresh of your love and mercy and grace towards us. And we want to embrace that this morning because we know that we're all desperately in need of that. But as we just said, Lord, we pray that you would then help us that in light of what we've received from God, that we might extend that to those around about us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.